your cake online. What is up, Cake Nation, and happy Hype Friday. Welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today's sweet guest is hailing all the way from Switzerland. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting her at the ACS Fall National Meeting in San Diego in 2019 and attended her talk, which was phenomenal, by the way. (laughs) Um, She is the principal investigator of her own lab, as well as a lecturer at ETH. Folks, the warmest of welcomes to my sweet friend, Dr. Nadine Bordeaux-Dedekind. Nadine, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I am so hyped, so hyped yeah. to have you on the show. How have you been? I, I hear that you've been traveling a lot. Yes, <laughs> I've been good. I'm super excited to uh, to be on the show with you, Cake. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, San Diego was, was such a long time ago in terms oh, of what yeah. happened since, right? Yeah, yeah that was... <laughs> That was in summer. That was in August. Yeah, I know. But that was like only four or five months ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, one of the perks of leading the lab is to go and talk to other people about the work that you do. And so then, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have this great job of getting to travel and tell people the cool science that we're doing. I feel very privileged. Where did you travel? I went to Sweden to visit the University of Gothenburg. And that was that was really fun. They do some pretty cool ice nucleation work. So that's related hmm. to cloud formation. Okay. Um, but I was in a chemistry department and I thought I would um, try this analogy of comparing the atmosphere to organic chemistry. Oh. And uh, yeah, and it worked out quite well. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was I, cool. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to want to hear this analogy because I love organic chemistry. I just love chemistry in general, but organic Chemistry definitely has, has a special, special place in my heart. Yeah. Yes, agreed. So agreed. So you mentioned atmosphere. So I'm I'm your lab's research focus is atmospheric chemistry. Can you tell us a little bit about what atmospheric chemistry actually is? Like what does that entail? Yeah, it's um it entails a lot of different aspects of studying the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. it's basically all chemical reactions that are happening, but also, so they're happening in the gas phase um, and they're happening in the aqueous phase because we have lots of water in the atmosphere, liquid water droplets or clouds, but they're also happening, like we also have heterogeneous chemistry in the atmosphere because we have these aerosol particles and then oh. the chemistry can happen on the surface mm-hmm. um, or even on the surface of buildings, like looking at grime on windows has been um, a focus of some oh. of my colleagues at the University of Toronto when I was there. Um, so there's a lot of different chemistry that's happening in the atmosphere and also at different levels. So there's kind of chemistry that's led by ions that's, you know, very far away. So 80 kilometers up in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then there's the stratospheric chemistry. So I'm sure you're familiar with the ozone hole and the ozone layer. Mm-hmm. So um, the chemistry of that destruction, so the catalytic cycles of even how the ozone is being formed, that's stratospheric chemistry. Mm-hmm. And then closer home is the tropospheric chemistry, and that's also very involved in the air pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to understand these processes and ultimately to better predict what's going to happen in terms of our health exposure and also in terms of climate. So I would argue that the goal of many atmospheric chemists' research is to 
better understand climate to better predict it um, and better understand exposure to better predict health outcomes. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And when you said that atmospheric chemistry has different layers, for whatever reason, all I heard was, it's like a cake. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> atmospheric chemistry is essentially the chemistry of cake. Sure, we'll go with that. No, just, but but it's, it's really good to think about like this type of chemistry in different layers. Um, I was actually going to ask yeah. about like, the different layers and thank you for so well explaining that. Um, so what then is the chemistry that your lab focuses on specifically? Um, so I tend to be interested in, in lots of chemistry. Okay. Same. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, what happens is I go to a conference and I think, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then I think, okay, how, you know, do we have the skills and instrumentation to help tackle that project or that problem? Mm -hmm. Then I go to another conference. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. We should work Mm -hmm. on that too. So (laughs) maybe, maybe the better. Yeah, exactly. Right. So then, and then you like meet this person you want to collaborate with. And so then I got into indoor air chemistry. So maybe the better, the better answer is what, like, have I worked in the past and how that helps me see how what we're going to be working on in the future is that sure. does that make sense yeah sure so i actually have a background in organic chemistry um and i did a, a master's in organic chemistry and then i switched to atmospheric as a phd student mm-hmm. and uh and so i had a you know training in the lab and, and understanding chemical reactivity and but i wanted to do stuff related to the to the environment and, and the yeah. atmosphere and there was these two professors at u of t um, that seemed really fun to work with. And they said to me like, oh, um, you know, Nadine, why don't you apply your organic chemistry background to understanding gas phase reactions? And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds fun. And then they're like, yeah, you can work with the OH radical. And I was like, what is that? Uh, <laughs> yes. Know? Have you heard of the OH radical? <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> It's a definitely, I believe it's a reactive oxygen species um, that is, yeah. is produced in the in Fenton chemistry, which is, which is something that I'm also interested in, but go on. Yeah, so um, we call the OH radical the detergent of the atmosphere in atmospheric chemistry. Ooh. Right? Ooh, and that, is not, that sounds ominous. It's the, the detergent because it just reacts with so many things and so many volatile organic compounds. Yeah. That it cleans out the atmosphere in a sense. Oh, so that's a good so thing. It's like that. It's yeah. It's kind of washes it out. <laughs> oh, okay. But it, it does a lot of other things. Like it, it can transform our aerosol particles, and then um, those aerosol particles can have different effects on your health and so on. So, so going back to <laughs> then the story is that I um, worked in gas phase chemical mechanisms. And ultimately trying to understand how um, certain volatile organic species like organic nitrogen uh, react in the atmosphere and what what are their rate constants, so how fast they react with the OH radical and what are their product distributions. So it's basically organic chemistry, but in the gas phase. Ooh. And yeah, and I really like that. And I and I'm I'm not working on this now because I don't have access to the infrastructure that's needed to do that here at ETH. Right. But I'm moving to the University of British Columbia in a year. Okay. Which I'm super excited about. And I'm in the process of buying an instrument 
um, which is essentially like a super high quality nose so that I can do that kind of science again, like this idea of identifying molecules that we are breathing, but not understanding um, what, what they, um, what they become and what they transform to in the atmosphere. So that's kind of gas phase chemistry. I'm very interested in that because I feel like the synthesis aspect and the organic chemistry aspect can be very useful. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And one, one thing that I really like about the atmospheric chemistry field is that it is so interdisciplinary. And so there's a lot of people doing atmospheric chemistry that come from physics backgrounds, computational backgrounds, um, engineering backgrounds, meteorology background, atmospheric science. And, and so I feel like I could be the token, like organic (laughs) atmospheric chemist. Yes, I stand this. (laughs) We'll support it cool thanks yeah yeah and then when I moved to ETH I learned a ton about photochemistry and Mm -hmm. photochemistry that happens now with like wavelengths relevant to the sunlight Mm -hmm. and because when I thought of photochemistry as an organic chemist I thought about okay yeah you just shine light on your sample and you could just put whatever wavelengths you need to do whatever chemistry you need Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but I feel like in the environment, you're more limited. You, right. you don't have 254 nanometer wavelengths hitting the ground. So you can't do chemistry at that wavelength. Hmm. But That's actually really interesting. So so like the photochemistry yeah. about, is, is that, is it just photochemistry in general? Is there like, are you trying to um, target like photolysis? Are you using it to excite certain molecules to do certain things? Like what's going on there? Yeah, that's exactly the right question, because it turns out it does all of that. <laughs> so, Phenomenal. So, Amazing. Yes. Does yeah. it <laughs> exactly. So we know that the, the basically the highest energy wavelength that can hit the surface of, um, of the Earth is about 290 nanometers, 300 nanometers. So um, that's basically the highest in energy that we can go. And it's enough to photolyze some molecules like, um, you know, hydrogen peroxide photolyzes above that. So that won't Mm -hmm. last so long in the atmosphere. Um, Some carbonyl groups also get photolyzed um, in that in that region. Um, But then you can also form different oxidants and so on in the meantime so of course if you have chromophores that absorb above 300 nanometers then you're exciting molecules yeah and turns out they do a whole bunch of really cool chemistry Um, and yeah and my new favorite oxidant rather than the oh radical recently has been singlet oxygen Ooh, ooh, okay yes we're talking about this singlet oxygen (laughs) tell me more (laughs) So I don't know so much about it because we've just kind of started on this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the project that the PhD student working with me is, is kind of spearheading. Um, mm-hmm. And so singlet oxygen, I, I'm learning, is actually very well known in the field of biology. It's also very mm-hmm. well known in the field of aquatic photochemistry. So this is like um, scientists that are interested in looking at the surface waters of lakes and rivers and studying the processes of the organic matter in mm-hmm. at the surface of this water and how it affects the degradation of some pollutants in the water. Mm-hmm. So, so the way I think about 
single oxygen is you have to, you need four ingredients. Yeah. Um, okay. So the first is oxygen, right? <laughs> Obviously. Single but, oxygen. Or well, so I, yeah. So, well, so you need oxygen as a precursor to the single okay. oxygen. Okay. So yeah, the single oxygen is a product. So you need oxygen. Um, you need a chromophoric species. So you need a molecule able to absorb light more or less in the visible where you have sunlight. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you need light and then you need water to basically as a solvent for this chemistry to happen. Oh. And we thought, hey, it's likely that this also occurs in the atmosphere because you also have all four of these ingredients. If you're in a cloud droplet, you have water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have lots of organic matter in the atmosphere. And we even call it brown carbon in the atmosphere. Mm. Um, and, then, and then you have a ton of oxygen. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, it turns out that single oxygen is, can be formed in these droplets. And um, other scientists, actually at UC Davis, had seen that you can see that oxygen also in fog waters um, and in some particulate matter. So, yeah, it's kind of exciting. It seems like this oxygen has been definitely understudied. But now we're asking, like, okay, does it actually matter that it's there in the atmosphere and what kind of chemistry it does? So that's, yeah, that's the interest in single oxygen. Uh, but so then what what makes singlet oxygen more interesting or rather different than triplet oxygen in in this case so you mean ground state oxygen yeah <laughs> okay so ground state oxygen so <laughs> i wish we could like see because i'm kind of <laughs> pretend so i have my two index fingers up and these okay. are the the two electrons that cuz oxygen is a biradical Right? So on either side, you have the, the two electrons that have the same spin. So they're both mm-hmm. pointing up. So my two index fingers are like pointing up right now. Yes. And, and then singlet oxygen requires an energy transfer so that one of my index fingers um, goes over to the other index finger and flips over. So, Ooh, okay. So now you All have... Right. Was that... I was very visually... Like I, I can visualize that. Yeah, so so chemically, that just means that you've now changed the spin, and now both um, electrons are in the same orbital, right? And so that's why it's single oxygen. Okay. And so it's okay. it's higher in energy, and it can do different types of chemistry mm. too, because now it's not a biradical anymore. Very cool. But, yeah, but it's that's it's true. just interesting because we just don't know much about it in the atmosphere. So um, when there's lots that uh, that we don't know, it's just, becomes an interesting research idea yeah of course because it's just like we don't know this we must know this and you're just like i want to know the things (laughs) exactly and and, oh man this is such a good um example because this morning i was analyzing samples so we were this week collecting um some air pollution data and some samples in italy Mm-hmm. And so I, I came back earlier before uh, the student working with me, he, um, he's still there. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, was, <laughs> I was in front of the, of the instrument. We were, I was doing the total organic carbon of the, of the solutions we collected. And I was like staring at the signal and I was like, please, there be a signal. Please, there be a signal. <laughs> Oh my gosh, same. Me, well, I was so excited. There was a signal. <laughs> yes. I, I guess so. Yeah. Like, I, I work with materials where that, that, that aren't like, so for example, um, the lab that I'm in um, and folks probably know by now, 
uh, we work with tiny magnets, but yeah. the material that I work with is largely organic and inherently not magnetic, but we can make it magnetic right. by loading it with magnetic metals. Um, and I remember like, I, I would get maybe just three milligrams of a sample to put into <laughs> our squid magnetometer, which essentially just is an instrument that um, measures the magnetic moment of our sample. And uh, when, when your sample is mostly organic and you have very little metal, there's like little <laughs> to no signal yeah. and most of it's just noise. And it's just like, no, there's only like 24 hours in this is. <laughs> I have to do it over. So this, that, that was it. That was all of it. That was just, that's just all that you get is just three milligrams of the products and you're like, ah, I gotta do this again. <laughs> I hear you. But, this, but then, but you get to go to the lab and do it again. And I think this yeah. is why at heart, I remain a laboratory chemist because yeah. in the field, you can't do that. Yeah. Like I can't go back to Italy, to Padova in Italy and collect a sample that looked exactly like it did on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm glad you yeah, me too. <laughs> so I phoned, I, phoned, uh, I phoned the student and I was like, this is great. We can keep going. <laughs> but it was, we were basically like three, four days in, in total um, not knowing and just mm -hmm. hoping for the best. Yeah. But uh, it's worked out. So I'm, I'm very pleased. <laughs> I'm also but, I'm very happy for you. That's phenomenal. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a good day. It was a, it was a good morning, I must say. Um, and then I don't get to do so much lab work anymore. I, I do a lot of management and, mm -hmm. you know, group management and group discussions yeah. and proposal writings and, and supervision. And so just being in the lab by myself this morning was actually kind of nice. That's I enjoyed wonderful. it. I was excited. So <laughs> yeah. Yay! Yay, chemistry and science! We yeah. love chemistry! <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was totally like, you know, I had my lab coat on. It was like real chemistry today. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yes. Yeah, good. So tell me about clouds. Yeah. I was just going to tell you about clouds. <laughs> tell me about clouds. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, clouds is also something that I learned um, collaborating with a group here at ETH. And they are atmospheric physicists. And um, it's a really interesting group. It, the, the groups here, the research groups are quite large because there's a lot of hierarchy. And then like research scientists get kind of lumped into like this big overarching group. But they're atmospheric physics physicists and half of them are modelers. And so they try to predict clouds and ultimately mm -hmm. um, the effect that clouds have on the radiative balance of the earth. Mm -hmm. Because it turns out that depending on where a cloud is, its optical depth, so how thick it is um, or how white it is, and uh, so which altitude the cloud is and the lifetime of the cloud can make like, significant impacts on the radio balance. And, and it's arguably one of the most uncertain processes that we have of how to predict clouds to ultimately predict um, temperature change in a future climate. Mm -hmm. So... This is kind of the research question is to say, okay, uh, is to ask, 
can we better understand aerosol cloud interactions? And so how clouds are formed so that we can better predict them and then ultimately better predict the radiative balance and how that's changing over time. So I'm a chemist though. And so I, I had a ton of questions about, okay, you know, what's the physics and, and why do we care and how do we even form a cloud in the lab? But Mm-hmm. I also learned that there's room there for a chemist to be like, well, you know, this is how the water molecules arrange. And um, this is what makes a compound hygroscopic. And uh, I think that's, I think that's really cool, that connection. So my group at the moment is involved in looking at how ice clouds form. Ooh. So um, do you know, so ice clouds are the really wispy ones. Okay, and, I, and I'm pretty sure you, the, so you have the ones those that are like really though. pretty in the sky. Yeah, the I ones that are really high. high. Uh huh. And it, they're it really looks high. Kind of like, you're right. They, they look wispy. It's kind of like yeah. um, oh, how would I describe that? It's like uh, kind of like do I want to say that it's like gossamer? I, I don't know if that is the the right visualization for that, but I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So okay, uh, compared to like the really fluffy cumulus clouds. So mm-hmm. when it's fluffy, you know, like a cotton balls, that's those are water droplets. So that cloud is definitely liquid when it when it looks fluffy and, and mm-hmm. cotton like. But the ones that are wispy and you can still see some blue sky through them, those are all ice crystals. Oh, okay. So that's a difference. So you can go outside. Um, I so it's dark here already, but. <laughs> If if you look outside, <laughs> that's right. See- it is it is morning over here, but it is foggy, so I don't know if I'll see any clouds or if it's just uh, one mass of a cloud. <laughs> I don't even know if I could yeah. call that a cloud. It's like the marine layer. Yeah, I also when I was in San, Di- so it was my first time in San Diego when I went to the ACS, and I mm-hmm. and I noticed that just like this deck of clouds that's there all the time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it kind of stays like, and then it kind of dissipates over the land and it stays all along the coast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Right. But, but basically ultimately you can go outside and then you can see, okay, there's a wispy cloud. That's, that's crystals. And, uh, oh, there's a fluffy cotton cloud. That's a uh, water droplet. So you can, you can just tell visually by looking at them. That's so and, insane. Like yeah. just thinking about a cloud as crystals, like when, when you say that to me, who, is like an organic slash inorganic chemist. Like I immediately think like, ah, crystals. Like it's probably going to be green or pink or orange or white. If you're <laughs> Maybe off white, you know, uh, on an exciting day. But uh, I just like, it just blows my mind that there's solid in the sky. Yeah. Oh, there's lots of solid. Sometimes it's just too small that we can't see them right. by the naked yeah. eye. But like all the particulates. Yeah. Um, there's a yeah. ton of that. That's insane. It blows my mind. My mind is blown. Holy cannolis. Yeah. Wowza. <laughs> but it's, it's really cool because, you know, when I was an organic chemist and I would try to explain to my parents what I was doing, right? I was trying to, I was doing method development um, and, you know, trying to find a new way to make a specific reaction. And then they'd mm-hmm. be asking me, why is this useful? You know, what do you make? And I'd be like, oh, you know, I make a little white powder at the end and it's really pure and I purified it and I calculated the yield. And they're like, so but what does it matter? And I'm just, <laughs> I, you know, we always have to give the context of like, yeah, these molecules can be drugs. And maybe in the future, someone's going to use this reaction to develop an important molecule. And, but now I feel like I can just point to the, <laughs> to the sky and be like, 
hey, we don't actually know exactly how to predict that cloud over there. Oh, <laughs> how to predict <laughs> that cloud over there. It just, I feel like it gives cloud gazing a whole new like level. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's sure. supposed to be super fun. Just like, look at that cloud over there. It's crystalline or or like yeah. it has crystals in it as opposed to like, yeah. look at that fluffy cloud over there. Instead of saying, it looks like an elephant. It's, those are water droplets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but Kate, imagine now when you have one cloud that has both the water oh. droplets and the fluffiness and the crystals. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Yes. And these are, so, so these exist, they're called mixed phase clouds because yeah, the water is in mixed phase. And right. um, so I'm, I'm, particularly interested in those clouds because we um, struggle the most to model those compared to the purely ice ones and the purely water ones or liquid water ones. And um, they're usually related or associated with storms, these clouds. And so turns out that 50, about 50%, so I'm quoting a, a, a paper now, GRL 2015, but mm -hmm. uh <laughs> so I should I should say GRL's geophysical research letters, um, but these mixed phase clouds they fifty percent of precipitation worldwide, or no actually fifty percent of precipitation in the mid latitude comes from mixed phase clouds. Hmm. So if we struggle to predict those clouds, then we can extrapolate and say that we also um, struggle to predict precipitation. Precipitation clouds, and by precipitation you mean like rain, not yeah, not like salt. Well, I guess it, I mean <laughs> it's, it's like I just like I guess I I this is how you know like what where my mind is in terms of in terms of chemistry oh, because when I hear so when I hear like precipitate out, I just think of like of like crystals crashing out of solution. I'm like, are we going to be pelted <laughs> with like with like crystals? But I guess like is hail is considered. Like hail and sleet are considered precipitation, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, you okay, know, okay. I, I just want to say it's so refreshing to be speaking to a chemist <laughs> who asks me the difference between precipitation in the atmosphere and precipitation. Is, oh man, I I'm so <laughs> happy right now. Wait a minute, you're gonna is a solid gonna be falling from the sky? Which which if you think about it, like solid falling from the sky isn't so terrifying because that's what snow is. Snow is like. <laughs> Right. so it's really not that terrifying but yeah. i just yeah. i don't know why my like i guess it's because the material i work with is black and it can precipitate right. out well okay. well it's, well okay technically precipitate is not the correct verbiage because it's suspended so it'll just sediment out but you know it's a similar yeah. it's a similar like idea yeah, yeah. and so i was just like that visual was like wow oh my god <laughs> like, they're, they're like what, what, solid coming from the sky which <laughs> that's what snow is folks snow is solid coming from this like falling from the sky from the clouds yeah, so, yeah that's true and we like snow we like snow we, we like, like snow, snow. snow is fun. yeah snow's a lot of fun yeah. So uh, yes, there's a lot. Of, yeah, I just bought fat skis. I got them today. Oh, amazing! So, I yeah. um, I'm very excited. I, I've been I've been watching the snowfall, and I'm I like I'm like oh, I need to get back on my snowboard. This is going to be a lot of fun. Like oh, <laughs> mountains. <sighs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, mountains. I like mountains. I too like mountains. I like mountains a lot. They're great. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're phenomenal. Okay. So um, we are we are getting 
we are nearing the the end of our chat. However, this is the Chemistry Cake online podcast. So, as is tradition, I must ask arguably the most important question in this interview, and that is, <laughs> what is your favorite cake flavor and why? So the stress level just increased right now. <laughs> this is... Oh, no. <laughs> yes, this is the most intense question. <laughs> this is such a harder question than what is atmospheric chemistry. <laughs> um, so, so you 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 asked me this earlier, um, and so I, you know, admittedly uh, to the listener, I have had time to think about it, and mm-hmm. and I just I just can't decide. So. Um, cause then I, it's this idea like, okay, is cake then also a dessert? And then the question can be asked, like, is it, what is your favorite dessert? And then I can tell you it's Nanaimo bars mm-hmm. and Nanaimo bars. Do you know what a Nanaimo bar is cake? No, I do not. Okay. Unfortunately, well, I get, we're going to get the to, privilege of explaining me and we'll figure that out. Like I want to okay. see a picture. Okay. <laughs> to be like this is, this is it and i'm like this is not a cake <laughs> it's like yeah it's kind of like the cake version of is this a sandwich this is not a cake <laughs> it's like at kim jobber if you're listening to this uh my version of is this a sandwich is is this a cake is That's a cake correct. sandwich i don't know we'll leave that to him anyway <laughs> That's it's structurally sound it's structurally sound Yes, um, that's true. So then I had to go, okay, so what is my favorite cake? Now, if we think about an emotionally related cake, mm-hmm. um, I would say that my aunt at my birthday every year growing up would make me this box cake. It's from Duncan Hines. Mm-hmm. And it was just really moist and spongy and just very flavorful and delicious. Yeah. And so I'm sure there are better tasting cakes, but just this one is just just really good. And I think it's because it's all associated to... It's sentimental. Yeah, it's sentimental. And that's allowed. So my favorite, yeah. So that's my favorite sentimental cake. And then my favorite cake can depend on the day of the week. Oh, um, the day of the week. Like, so on Tuesdays, I like chocolate. But on Fridays, I like like strawberry shortcake or whatever. I don't know. That's, that's correct. So, oh, so. <laughs> Did I get the flavors so, right um, no, well, a strawberry okay. shortcake is pretty good, but like volcano chocolate cakes are pretty Ooh. high on the list. And they, mm. those could be my favorite cakes maybe two or three times a week. Ooh, um, okay. Okay. But... So like Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, coffee, like... Yeah, coffee cake. Ooh. Is See, a banana bread a cake? Coffee, coffee cake is, well, I don't even know. Like banana bread is kind of like, that's a good question to be like, is banana bread a cake? And I would have to yeah. sit and think about that because yeah. it's not bread, but it's also not cake, but it has exactly. a texture of cake, but it's called bread. Exactly. It's like, exactly. it's like so. Boston cream pie or whatever. And that's actually a cake <laughs> structurally. Right. Uh, yeah. Coffee cake, however, is interesting because it's like also classified as like not quite a cake, uh-huh. but it has the texture of the cake, of a cake, but it's also kind of dense. So, it's, al- yeah, it's almost like not thing. cake. And I, and I mean, like, I guess we'd have to, like, ask the culinary experts, like, is this classified <laughs> as a cake? But in okay. my opinion, like, <laughs> it, the thing, it's also interesting because coffee cake, 
does not actually taste like coffee. It's very sweet. Yeah. It has a lot of brown exactly. sugar and sometimes cinnamon yeah. and is meant to be dunked into coffee. But coffee flavored cake is like mocha cake or tiramisu, which the cake itself is not flavor like it's not coffee yeah, flavored. Exactly. It is like wow. yeah. submerged in coffee and then like sprinkled with espresso like yeah, that's right. ground. So I mean, your analysis is perfectly scientific here. I, I agree with yeah. all the points you've just made. Right? Okay. See, I am a science. I think scientifically yeah. about cake too, you know, like it is the yeah. chemistry cake online podcast. For science. <laughs> exactly. That's about- why we listen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well. This has been this has been such a sweet chat, Nadine. Thank you so yeah, thank so you. much for chatting with me. This has been such a great conversation. Oh, oh, it's a pleasure. And precipitation and cake. Holy cannolis! Wow. The, uh, it's Absolutely. So to chat with you and catch up. Um, and to the listeners at home, thank you for joining in our chat. Um, I hope you enjoyed our conversation about clouds and cake. Um, if you would like to follow the many atmospheric and cloud adventures of Nadine, you can follow her on Twitter at Nadine Bourdois. And if you would like to follow the really cool chemistry that her lab is up to, uh, you can visit their website at www.atmoschemgroup.org. It's legit. Um, and I will link both of those in the description. Uh, and of course, if you would like to partake in the hype, you can follow me on Twitter at chemistrycake and on Instagram at chemistrycakeonline. Folks, Folks, it is always, always a pleasure and a privilege to serve as the Cake Nation's designated hype person. This is your friendly reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify your village. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.